welcome, welcome, welcome to the tipping point. Hello. And uh, we are here in Kingston, New York. It is June eighteenth, twenty nineteen. It's the future, folks. Twenty nineteen, right? It feels like the future, like a dystopian future. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. Like a pretty dystopian future. Um, we haven't gotten to the Mad Max like Fury Road yet, but there's some there's some there's some Mad Max stuff going on. <laughs> feels sure. like that sometimes. Um, I'm here, as always, with Matt Edge, who I'm calling a co-host, um, who is the founder of the People's Empowerment Project. Uh, too much responsibility. <laughs> uh, yeah, I'm, yeah, I'm the founder of the People's Empowerment Project, the ex- current executive director. Pep. Pep. Keeping it peppy. Um, and uh, also... Um, do we plug it now? Should we plug the coffee now? I guess, right? We should never stop plugging. Never coffee. stop plugging the coffee because it it uh it oils the gears here with tasty coffee oil. Um, the Democracy Coffee, which you can buy um in bulk, right? Or not in bulk, but you know you can buy in the store. You, you can, can buy, buy beans. You can buy, you can buy in, in in sixteen ounce bags uh, all over the Mid Hudson Valley in the Capital District. Uh, yeah, that's and what that's you, what keeps keeps. Keeps the lights on. There you go. And it's also uh, on tap, right, out there. People brew it and sell it. Yep. You know, you can go into your local go coffee shop and find it. Meditate at the Zen Mountain Monastery. Ooh, it's there. And, and it's there. Yeah. Ooh, <laughs> I need to go. Uh, no, like, I really do need to do that. That'd be good for me. Um, and, yes, tonight on uh, The Tipping Point, we've got we got a lot to talk about. It's been a while um, since we met, right? I don't know when the last episode it's even was. It's been too long. Uh, a lot's been going on. The, the roastery is moving to Kingston. Great. And um, which is huge. A um, new so home. Our, so our headquarters and our roastery are going to be in the same spot, which is a big deal. So we we apologize that we have not produced one of these for quite some time, but it's because good things are happening. That's so, great. Yeah. Yeah. Right in Kingston. Mm-hmm. The old capital itself. And the business is is growing at a rate that I just I can't keep up with which is a good problem oh that's good it's it, and so i've been you well know, you know capitalism you need growth <laughs> i've been running around like a chicken with my head cut off uh trying to get everyone who wants democracy like we have i think three businesses that want democracy coffee and the only thing stopping them is me like <laughs> calling them up and being like all right when can we get it to you like <laughs> let's not get too much into the details but, but that's a, it's um, a good thing it's a good problem it's a good problem yeah, yeah. that's a good problem yeah yeah better than no demand um and yes of course we need growth need that growth um but this is the kind of growth in consumerism that actually may uh positively affect the world so you know go out there and well yeah that i mean all, all the money from democracy coffee goes to helping raise awareness about public financing campaigns and at the critical time when elections come around that's where we, we have the biggest impact because we're able to let voters know where the candidates stand on money in politics and it's it's huge. So thank you, all you democracy coffee drinkers out there. There you go. A hundred percent of the profits. Yeah, because it's not, not like two percent of the. Because like most corporations, they're like one percent of the environment. Yeah, no. <laughs> we're like we're a rare business model that we're a hybrid. We're a nonprofit, so everything we sell goes back to the coffers of the organization. We have to we have to pay our workers. You know, this isn't a, mm. a slave camp. But yeah, it, but it is. Speaking of our workers, a lot of it is volunteer. Yeah. So. Uh, a lot of the money that you're you're spending on democracy coffee is getting to the cause, which is something I'm proud of. It's great. Yeah. Not just one percent to the environment, like you mentioned, and that brings us to our next topic, which is 
the corporate world failing to address climate change, right? Our political and corporate system failing to address climate change. Um, this is not going to be a whole episode about that. It's going to be mostly about the primary and about the election. But this is kind of the stepping stone into it, which is saying we're in a crisis. We've known it for a while. It becomes clearer and clearer all the time, mm-hmm. and we are not addressing it. The Trump White House is doing nothing to address this problem. Well, they're making it worse. Yeah, they're they're doing the opposite. I'm sorry, you're right. They're doing the complete and total opposite. They're rubbing salt in the wound. Right. No, they're 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 putting like, you know, radioactive waste in the wound. Oh god. <laughs> salt is, is too too kind of word. Yeah. Um so, yeah, so we it, it, the and, way I see it, if we don't as a human species I mean, based on the science that that's coming to us, if we don't turn things around, like about face, within the next twelve years, the species is not really gonna make. Like, it, we're gonna see a rapid snowballing effect where all these these climate contributors um, are going to feed off each other and create this positive feed loop. Yeah, and that's a really it's it's it almost like I want to ignore that. But I also feel that to the extent that we ignore that, we're not being true to what's real and are being getting sort of in disharmony with reality. And that's necessarily that's causes suffering, you know, and I think we need to we need to look at that problem and be real about it. And, yeah, maybe our odds are are not the, the greatest for the species, but we need to do it. We need to do whatever we can. Yeah, there's some really interesting. I was listening to a bunch of research about climate change and about how people are presented with that information and how it affects them. And for the most part, a lot of the things that we're presented with, a lot of the information we're consuming does not make us feel empowered, doesn't feel like we can do anything about it. Um, actually, one of the most effective things was, was to was to discourage people from consuming too many fossil fuels was actually what were their neighbors doing, right? Because when they're confronted with the size of the catastrophes that people are predicting, you know, whatever, if it's the permafrost melting and methane being released by the, you know, billions of cubic feet or whatever, um, it seems too big. It seems too scary, right? Um, Just recently, the thing that was really, I mean, as somebody who attempts to keep up on international news was the heat wave in India, where it was 120 degrees in India. And this is, it was 200 million people affected by this. So it's it's almost unbearable. Many of those people living in poverty, um, you know, complete, total, dire poverty, you know, no access to electricity on a regular basis. And it was life threatening and in the long term, obviously threatening to the productivity of potential crops, livestock, you know, the economy and the and the stability of people there. Not to mention, of course, the ecosystems. Right. So, um, uh, yeah, crisis. I just saw also images of people running dog sleds across across the Arctic in a foot of water and it looked like it was a balmy, you know, June day. And they're saying they've never seen this. But again, as I say this, that's not empowering, right? So what can be empowering? What is the tipping point? Well, yeah, I mean, that all brings us back to, and this is not to, to say that we shouldn't make conscious decisions about greenhouse gases as individuals. <laughs> yeah. That is something like, you know, I've committed my life to, and I'm totally for it. So keep that in mind as I say this, but, most of the greenhouse gases are coming from hundred corporations. Now, that's interesting. I've heard that before. I'm, I really would love to do a whole episode on this because I kind of want to get into those numbers. Yeah, no, we need we need to do a whole episode on that. I really do. I want to get into them, and you but, know. But for now, suffice it to say, corporations cor- have a role. Well, <laughs> and corporate well, money. 
what the, who is president of the United States and who controls the United States government in these next 12 years and that's what we probably have is so important and we actually have a chance to 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 affect that and so that's yeah that's kind of kind of where we're going with this is 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 looking at how the fate of the world hangs in a couple of things like like these two critical junctures right i mean you got the 2020 election obviously if the trump administration that is taking corporate money Right. I mean, uh, currently, let's just say there's <laughs> there's some ways in which the Trump administration is benefiting from their positions and from their connections to corporate money. If you look at a number of people within <laughs> within the White House um, who have these connections, obviously, there's corruption there and it's, lots of freedom gas and a lot of <laughs> lots of freedom gas. <laughs> That's what I. That's what I say at night. You know, when I uh, let one rip, I'm like, oh, it's freedom gas. <laughs> well, you, did you hear the story? I, I heard that? this. This freedom gas. This is funny. I think we should. We should. We should talk about freedom. Do gas. it. Let's I talk mean, about. Better, oh, I want to talk about freedom gas. How how better to describe the, the extent of the crisis than freedom gas? <laughs> Natural gas is now called freedom gas, according to the Department of Energy, because they're saying if we have natural gas, then we are liberated from those evil, you know, oil countries afar. Point is, they're rubbing depleted uranium into the wounds of um the earth right now let's just we're trying to stick with that metaphor they're not helping they're hurting right well yeah i guess well, guess where i was going with that is that like what we do is important as individuals we're all part of the solution for climate but unless we see the major greenhouse gas countries do an about face we're not going to make for 12 years and it's a sad reality and so we have like one more like hell mary pass and this next election, who's going to be in control of the U.S. government for the next four years is a huge chunk of our 12 years. That's a third. Yeah. And if we don't if we do not do everything in our power, if we don't treat this like the reality that it is now, it's our, it's our, our, our kids, our, it's us that are going to see this civilization crumble. And or, or, you know, it's, just, it's spiraling out of control. So that's why we're going to look a little bit in this episode at – uh, the Democratic primary. So, yeah, so the Democratic primary uh, is critical to the presidential election, obviously, yeah. right? We yeah. got it. Yeah. But I guess the reason that it's such an important tipping point is because unlike a lot of Democratic primaries or Republican primaries, that we have the ability to potentially have a candidate in one of the major parties be a non-corporate funded candidate who's willing to address not just climate change. I mean, it's not just climate change. Obviously, it's it's education, it's healthcare, it's housing, it's all the War. things that humans need to survive and have dignity. Um, so that primary is going to be the critical tipping point, really, right? So the twenty twenty election is a tipping point, but who we elect, uh, who who we support in the primary, and who becomes the actual candidate, that is critical, right? So, and, and, there's, and there's two questions. There's you know, can they can they beat Trump? If they can't, if if they're if they're like all good on climate change and corporate power, great. But if they can't beat Trump, like forget about it. Like we we can't we can't mess around with that. Preliminary question is, who can beat Trump? Mm. Yes, who can actually beat Trump? Right. Um, and so we have some polling. Yeah. Right. It looks like some people beat Trump in the current. I mean, this is early again, and we do have to kind of reiterate that a couple times. But it is early. But there are people in the polling. Beating Trump. I saw some Fox News polls showing, you know. There was a recent poll came out where all the entire Democratic field was beating Trump. Um, <laughs> some of them. All 52 of them? 
Yeah, I think there's like 20. <laughs> there's yeah, a lot. Mo- most of them are are beating Trump. Some of them, but that's that's that poll is a little bit of an anomaly, and it's funny that the anomaly polls always get the most coverage. Of course, yeah. The the, the actual like recurring polls are suggesting that both Biden and Bernie are are kind of running away with it. If the election were held today, they would beat beat Trump by by double digits. The rest of the field of the of the main contenders, we're talking about like you know, Kamala Harris. We're talking about Buttigieg. We're talking about Beto. I'm probably forgetting somebody. Well, here the list. Warren. The list for 2020 for the average for this is real clear politics. The their average of of recent polls from uh, you know about May 14th to you know early May is it's it's um, Sanders, it's Biden, Sanders, Warren, Buttigieg, Harris, O'Rourke down to four percent. You know Booker 2.4. So those are those are kind of the big right. And then you got you go down to the uh, Klobuchar and Castro. But again, you know, Biden, Sanders, Warren, Buttigieg, Harris, O'Rourke, Booker. Um, those are those are the, the the front of the pack. And of those, Biden and Biden stands out on top. You know, a little bit. You know, usually a little bit more than the, or about the margin of error of the poll above Bernie beating Trump, but consistently, which is important. Um, and and then the rest of the pack seems to be a coin toss with Trump at this point. Uh, you know, Elizabeth Warren. Kamala Harris, um, Beto O'Rourke, Buttigieg. If the election were held today, we're, we're seeing 50-50 chances against Trump. Which, to me, uh, it's a bit crazy, considering the, the Trump administration and uh, the number of things about it that are deeply dysfunctional and or corrupt. Um, the fact that I, I, they're not even having press conferences anymore at this point. No. You know, There's so many things that have already kind of been broken about the tradition of the executive branch. Um, but yeah, the, the, it, this is that is important to note that there are Democratic uh, candidates out there that are not beating Trump, and that that I mean, obviously Trump has some strengths; uh, he has his base. But if there are candidates who are pulling neck and neck with Trump right now, that's that that's a sad state of things. And that, <laughs> and, I mean, and, and again, you know, Jeb Bush was leading in the polls at this time in 2016, so so we have to like put that in perspective. But good point. We also need to yeah. re- we also need to remember that Hillary Clinton lost to Trump on the Electoral College metric by such a fraction mm. that if she had been like a slightly better candidate, if if Hillary had been if we had a slightly better candidate, just like a fart better, <laughs> um, that would have been the difference. We probably would have won Pennsylvania, Wisconsin. In Michigan, and because those were decided by fractions of a point, sure, you know, so it really does matter, you know, how how the that's what we didn't do in this last election is like you know Bernie was beating Trump by fifteen twenty percentage points consistently in the polls, Hillary was ne- neck and neck to to five points above, and it, that's significant. So I think we need to keep an eye on it, not just look at these polls now and sit, set it in stone, but keep an eye on those things and pause if candidates are consistently later in this election losing to trump in the polls well and there and there are a couple things that are interesting in these polls too and the existing data before you know obviously it's early but there do seem to be some trends and one of those is that bernie sanders is pretty much maintained to a large extent where he has been in the polls he's still in second place right um but also then 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 warren elizabeth warren surging in the polls 
really becoming. But you're talking, it's kind of confusing because you're talking about different polls. Well, okay, I'm so yes, about general election matchups. Yeah, let's, let's clarify. So this is the this is the presidential nomination Democratic polling, right? Matchups is different, and matchups. I do have some numbers here. Matchups. They there's some polling out there that it's focusing especially on Florida mm-hmm. because it's Florida. The idea mm-hmm. of it is a swing state. Yeah. Um, but let's see. We have the matchup of Trump versus Biden in Florida. Biden beats him by nine points nationally. Biden beats Trump by thirteen by this polling standard, um, or by in, in this polling. Uh, Sanders beats him by six in Florida. Sanders up fifty one percent nationally versus Trump forty two. So uh, you know, again, it's 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 early. Um, Warren beats him as well, but by a slimmer margin. Right, Warren forty seven, Trump forty three in Florida. Warren forty nine nationally, forty two. Uh, for Trump. So. Interestingly, uh, polls are showing Bernie within the statistical margin of error being tied with, with Trump in Texas. Mm, yes, which is really intriguing. Right. <laughs> so if the election were held today, I'd be looking strong at Bernie. And I think maybe this is a good time to talk about why, you know, okay, so is, is this end of discussion? Biden's polling the best against Trump right now. And that's significant. Uh, you know, I would think twice before if, – if that were the only way to gauge that metric, I would be thinking about voting for Biden. But it's not the only way to gauge that metric. Exactly. So there's the two metrics, right? Yeah. Do they beat Trump? And who are they? Right? What do they support? You know, whose but, but, money but are they taking? Before we go there, I just want to cast a little bit of shade on on why I think Biden's numbers are inflated. And – what? No. I'm with you. No, let's go. So I think I think Biden's polling numbers against Trump are going – I'm going to make a prediction mm. that they're going to go down. Yeah. And the reason being is if you look at the key demographics of this election, who are the, the, the demographics that are going to be the tipping point? What these demographics decide is largely going to decide this election regardless of the candidate. And so one of those demographics are millennials. The polling that I've seen suggests Biden is not picking up among millennials and and not and, and to a lesser extent Gen X. Basically the older you are, the more you like Biden in this country. <laughs> and the younger you are, the more you like at this point it's it's Bernie Sanders. Um that could I, th- I expect that will change as as these other candidates get more well known. Elizabeth Warren's kind of surging right now. I think she, that that's going to grow. And, but and but right, Buttigieg also has like staked out a little bit of the uh, yeah, and we need to talk a little Gen bit about Buttigieg. Yeah, we need to talk about that guy, right? But that, that's in the next segment. Okay, let's yeah. All right, so um, but basically, what I'm saying is. Biden's whole and, and the Democratic Party establishment's whole failing strategy is to go after swing voters, which I think is a is a is a cover for making corporate friendly policies that don't inspire the masses. And because they're they're going after these quote unquote swing voters. They make up about five percent of the population where the surge voters, the, the, the apathetic voters, the people who don't vote, those people or, make or up, the rightfully disenfranchised voters. Yeah. The, the right, the rightfully disillusioned the, the people voters. that the, the main two political parties have not been investing money in getting out to vote that 50% of the population that doesn't vote 
who are those people and why aren't we investing in them and who's catching on with them and that and looking at those demographics is a really good insight into who can bring out those numbers and so they're polling those demographics the i think the biggest one of those demographics is millennials and and you know we can kind of group gen x a little bit in there too interestingly gen x and millennials outnumbered baby boomers in, in 2018 by votes they've the outnumbered time, them right ever yeah, they've outnumbered Boom. them by population for a long time but the but the boomers vote at such high rates compared to gen x and millennials but this is the first election where they overtook them and so in 2020 that's going to be exacerbated that's going to we're going to see a lot more um millennial clout so who's being who's appealing to millennials is a key thing to look at when you're trying to decide who to vote for in this democratic primary and so right now it happens to be bernie sanders we're going to keep keep an eye on it keep checking back with us you know when you look at a poll scroll down find find that wh where do where do the you know under 50s where are they going well yeah and also I was reading a poll just now that was saying that uh well uh for the largest minority voting population in regards to ethnicity or race hispanics now make up the largest minority for voter, voters in the 2020 election, they'll be the largest minority. And Bernie Sanders is the most popular candidate amongst young Hispanic voters. It's it's the one the one group that he really does dominate in as well. And I think it's because, obviously, he's talking about issues that are universally important to people. Um, people maybe who have immigrated to this country in one or two generations, but people living in poverty. Um, well, so, the, And that's really significant because if you look at um, the percentage of whites that turn out, the percentage of African-Americans that turn out and the percentage of Latinos that turn out within their own demographic, Latinos or Latinx, I should say, have the lowest turnout of those of those major demographics in the United States. And so that's where we have a high ceiling. If we invest in them and they're underinvested in when I'm talking about investing them, I'm not talking about just government spending. I'm talking about political campaigns. Yeah. spending money yep. to get these people to the polls and it it hasn't been done to the extent that it needs to be and and so yeah and there's there's a reason to believe that uh intimidation is maybe one of the techniques that'll be used to keep those people from engaging in elections in the future as well so the democratic party needs to be or at least someone needs to be uh, the bastion of protecting those vo voting rights and in getting those people who are not engaged engaged. And Hispanic voters in many places are discouraged from engagement. And we're going to see that in, you know, in the census coming up. Right. You know, we're going to see questions that are going to make people fearful of even being engaged and reporting that they exist within these borders. Right. So, yeah, very critical who that candidate is. Um, so, yeah, so it's not just can they beat Trump. It's uh, who the candidate is and what they support. And obviously – Corporate money or policies that benefit corporations or humans, these, these are the critical issues, right? Mm -hmm. Because we know, we've seen what happens when billions of dollars get poured into elections, right? That the, the issues that we care about and that surge voters care about are not the issues, right? Mm -hmm. Or there are no candidates for us to choose from. Because the candidates well, nobody are trusts there. them. They don't trust them because they're getting funded by these corporations. Exactly, and, you know, among other things. And but. that brings us to a little bit of finger pointing within the Democratic Party. We don't want to tear people down necessarily. We're not trying to be a spoiler, but we also want to make sure that we have the right candidate to not only 
help Americans who are struggling in poverty and struggling with issues, but also to address climate change, well, to address to major real. issues. We, we need to be real. So let's be real and let's talk about it. Let's talk about Buttigieg, right? Let's talk about corporate money that is flowing into yeah. some people's coffers. Almost all the major candidates are saying they're not going to take corporate money. Cory Booker not taking corporate money, right? We Actually, I don't know where Biden is on that. Has he made a pledge to not accept money from private to not align with a PAC not or not to have a PAC? No, what? Not to my knowledge. Not to your knowledge. Okay, so but but Kamala Harris, Booker. Well, no. I, no they, they've I, made a claim that his, they would his, not. On his opening fundraising party, big high plate dinner. Who, he like, Joe Biden. Joe Biden. He, this was his like big you know opening day fun fundraiser. It was thrown by a Comcast executive. Oh, God. Oh, boy. Okay. That's, that's not a good sign. Yeah. It's not a good sign. And Comcast is not just a cable company, guys. Comcast is a big corporation that owns a lot of stuff, right? Don't they own – what do they own now? It's like everything now. Don't they own major media outlets? They, yeah. It, they're, they've gotten way too big and powerful mm. for any healthy democracy. <laughs> but So that's Joe Biden's initial fundraiser. That's what we're saying. Comcast, because you know they own the means of distribution of – Cable, right? Cable, mm-hmm. internet, everything else, which is one thing. But because of allowing for corporate mergers, Comcast also owns NBC and Telemundo. So that includes MSNBC, CNBC, USA Network, uh, you know, E Entertainment. So that they're a massive media conglomerate that owns not only distribution but also production. And that's the kinds of people who potentially want a Biden. And you could say, oh well, MSNBC's liberal, but these are massive corporations looking for. A favorable government environment, a fav- favorable regula- regulatory environment, right? And, so, and Biden's coverage has been well outpacing all of the other candidates by, by I think, double, at least double the next best candidate. So many mentions. And he's just – it's like nonstop Biden, Biden this, Biden that. And that's – it's just – I'm happy to see that Warren is getting some mentions. I will say the yeah. Bernie blackout, the complete and total lack of coverage of Bernie is still pretty astounding. And I'm not sure Warren is getting picked up a bit more, um, and I think partially it's because there's certain outlets that are still mad at Bernie, um, viewing him as a spoiler. But they are picking up Warren more, partially also because she's been throwing out a lot of policies, a lot of really solid policies that would benefit Americans, mm-hmm. and not corporations. But let's okay, let's back it up. So we're saying Buttigieg and Biden. So we, I don't think we finished the Buttigieg story. No, we didn't. No, we got to go back into it. We got to go back in. So there are these candidates. Right, Biden, Buttigieg, corporate money. What what's up with Buttigieg? He seems young. He seems well, hip. Well, let's first. I mean, let's just do like bird's eye view. I think candidates you have to watch out for for corporate money that have a history of of doing accepting lots of corporate money and acting in accordance with that money. Biden for sure. Yes, I mean he's the he's the the Democrat from the credit card companies. He's very connected to Wall Street. That's because they're located in Delaware, right? Yeah. I mean, so he, his former Senate seat, that, that, that's one of the main ways he was able to raise mon- money because Delaware had very lax banking standards, right? Yeah. And so credit card money flowing into his campaigns, flowing into his president's presidential got, bids. Cory Booker, same deal, but pharmaceuticals. Pharmaceuticals. Um, and Wall Street is all of the above. Same thing. You know, sure. Kirsten Gillibrand and Kamala Harris. The species is on the line here. We why take a chance with one of these candidates? You know, if there's 20 candidates in this field, a, a number of them are not taking corporate money, and are not using these unethical loopholes to 
uh, that corporations are using to exert their influence. So why would we take a risk in our in our final throws, our last chance to save the species? We're not going to get another one. Why would we pick somebody other? Well, and I think there's an important point here because I think there are people out there who do look at the money. You know, they're like they know that Hollywood. You know, the Hollywood executives give money to Democrats, right? They know that – or maybe Comcast, you know, NBC. They're like, well, it's NBC. You know, it's MSNBC. Well, That's smart corporations money. give money to both sides. Yeah, smart corporations give money to both sides. But there are these corporations that give to Democrats. Um, and I think some people look at those corporations and say, well, why would that matter, right? It's obvious when it's the when it's the Koch brothers. It's obvious when it's ExxonMobil, mm-hmm. when it's oil companies. But it's less obvious, I feel like, when it's those corporations. And I – and for me, it's important for me to do little thought experiments, right, about why it would be important. And I think of the Comcast, mm-hmm. which is, you know, NBC Entertainment, that that's an important example, right, that, okay, sure, MSNBC might say liberal things. Maybe they even cover climate change every once in a while. But the reality is is that they are about accumulating power and not really about reporting, not about really having journalistic standards, it's right? It's profit-driven. It's profit, and it's driven by – corporate money right Mm -hmm. advertising money and it's also about limiting your choices limiting your perspective and controlling you know controlling the narrative and discussion which means that you don't have um a great civic discourse you don't have a plurality of of they love saying this person on the left this person on the right but they're only shining the camera on half the room yeah and that's actually there was polling that was done that showed if you don't watch any major news outlet or if you don't read any major news outlet that you are actually better informed than watching Fox News or MSNBC because they're both not necessarily in the game of, of informing. But that's just an example, and there's a lot of examples like that. So it's not just the Koch brothers. It's not just ExxonMobil. It's large corporations that are beholden to profits first, right? I mean that's the issue. Is even well, if, if they're they- not, they can get sued by their shareholders. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so, again, it's if money is in politics and it comes through these even bundlers – who are walking, you know, they're going into the cubicles in their office, right? And they're asking people, or they're. I don't going, think bubblers have. Bun- I don't think bundlers. Yeah, maybe cubicles. not cubicles. <laughs> no, they're going to the corner office at work, and then they're going to the, the the cocktail party afterwards and talking about some candidate and how they like Boot Edge Edge because he's young and he's you know a moderate, he's intelligent and progressive, or not progressive. Eh, Wasn't whatever. It a little eerie the way he kind of rolled out, where everyone was like, "Yeah, he's the smartest one in the room." Like the way that every <laughs> mainstream media like talking point was the same sentence and i'm like wait a second yeah i heard that sentence before well they're all saying it and then then this new york times thing comes out and sure enough who was spotted at this corporate democrat bundler stop sanders stop this progressive wing stop this populist wing of the party from 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 taking control he, but Buttigieg spotted at these yeah. meetings and this is reported on on the new york times which is not like some left-wing rag i'm mean, sure is, very credible reporting. And he is that kind of candidate, too. That is, I mean... It, it, and he's a 37-year-old, and they're, they're going after Bernie's sure. base. He's young. He's gay. He's a veteran, yeah. right? He's from the Midwest, which yeah. is, you know, where we where we lost a lot of votes uh, in regards to, you know, keeping people, supporting policies that are, you know, positive for themselves. So there's a lot of things, but that's identity politics stuff, and that is also, once again, to connect back into it, corporations love certain kinds of candidates because of their identity or because of identity politics or because of who they who they seem to be the story behind them not their policies right and the policies that we believe would make a difference in regards to humanity and the ecology of this world sustainability being able to survive the next century those policies matter 
that's what we're really talking about. We're talking about candidates who are not in the pocket of big money, right? Right. And there's that a couple we can of them. trust that, that that I feel comfortable saying that I feel like we can trust based on their their fundraising records, based on their voting records, to be good on co- on corporate power. Elizabeth Warren, Bernie Sanders, you know, let's throw let's throw Yang and, and Tulsi Gabbard in there. Yeah, and it's it's not even just the money either. It's also what are their actual policies? Because Joe Biden himself is saying that he wants to find a middle ground between ExxonMobil and climate scientists, which a middle ground between those two would be continued emissions that are beyond what is sustainable. Mm-hmm. So it's also, yeah, it's also their policies. It's also what they're saying. It's also, you know, and also do we trust them, right? That's part of what hurt Hillary. Right. Is that she she was she perceived had horrible trust numbers. Yeah, she had horrible trust numbers and she was perceived to be taking large amounts of money from big, powerful money interests. And she was. <laughs> so right now there's two contenders that could win the Democratic nomination that fit that mold that are, are signing off corporate money. Um, they're they're limiting you know, Elizabeth Warren's limiting it to small donations. Um, and Bernie Sanders is basically. You know, pioneered the small donor revolution. So, so yeah, I think it's important to talk about them, uh, especially in light of the fact that we may get a brokered convention. I think it's with such a divided field of candidates that look like they're they're hunkering down for the long haul. Um, I think we, we there's a very high likelihood that we're not going to have any one candidate with a majority of the delegates come nominating time. It's kind of mind boggling. I mean, I I understand. Why people who want to run for president, but I also don't understand why these some of these people don't want to run for Senate, which is kind of a little bit you know, <laughs> better. Yeah, there's a, there's a, there's a number of articles out there right now saying like, yeah, we actually need some people to run for Senate. Like, if you're actually going to be better, would be a great candidate. He would stand a really good chance in yeah. Texas. Um, because I I don't completely I have no reason to completely distrust Beto. He was also doing a small donor uh, fundraising, but you know they weren't as high as the hype made out anyways yeah <laughs> anyways so so we do have a couple candidates who are not taking corporate money who we do believe um are focused on helping working so americans really it's, it's bernie and, and and warren can we just meld them together and then combine <laughs> their vote because their votes you know right now they're polling the two of them are probably going to be if you combine their numbers boom you got a biden you yeah know? yeah so if you combine do... if you combine the two of their numbers it's they're polling pretty much on par with biden and so i think right now it's perfectly reasonable to be undecided. It's too early. And if you combine them, then it's like, okay, so then you got um, – it's not just an a old white man. It's a younger um, person who is not just an old white guy. And then he's also more more uh, – because Elizabeth Warren's like Midwestern. She's from Missouri. Is she really? Yeah, she's actually from Missouri, um, I believe. Maybe maybe speaking, but she's not – you know, Oklahoma, I think. One of the two, Oklahoma, Missouri, um, instead of being like a, a very old Jewish man from Brooklyn, which doesn't necessarily play in a lot of parts of the country. Anyways. Um, <laughs> yeah, I mean I think my thought on uh, – so I, I like Elizabeth Warren and I – like I trust her. I feel like she's an honest person. Um, she's definitely not held punches uh, against corporate power and Wall Street and knows her shit. Um, I am a little worried at her numbers against Trump, um, and I, not. To, I don't want to put too much in the polls, um, but I'm also a little. So I want to bring up some other things that I'm worried about. Is that the Republican? 
party and establishment has been investing a lot of money in um, painting progressives as the elites, as the Democratic Party as the elites, um, the you know Harvard latte drinking elites that think they're smarter than mm. you and speak yeah. using a bigger vocabulary than the vast majority of the population. And, and they've really, I mean, that's, they've invested in that. And I, I, my concern with Elizabeth Warren is she's a little bit too easy to sort of demonize that, you know, and, and really bring that out. And, 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 and let's just clarify something. Joe Biden has been in politics in DC longer than anybody else running right now. He's been a congressman, a senator, and a vice president. Doing awful and, things. And people are perceiving him to be the everyday working man, right? You know, Labor Joe. He's taking the... He's taking is the that going to survive the election? No. Well, so, but again, it is... It, it, you're right that they, they're trying to spin narratives. And one of the narratives is that Joe Biden is a down-to-earth everyman. When in reality, Joe Biden's been in D.C. and has been in the halls of yeah. power for a very, very long time. And that's something so, that we have to be very careful with. And that's the with. truth. And when you start seeing, you know, billions of dollars being spent to, to trash Biden, if he if he does end up becoming the nominee, that kind of truth is going to be very powerful. You know, so I think, yeah. Not I, to mention the gaps. Not to mention, like, I, I mean, really, I'm blown away at this point that the democratic that the democratic supporters or the people who vote democratic in primaries uh are digesting and and are okay with some of the stuff that Joe Biden has said and done over the years and i'm not trying to do a hatchet job on him cuz i will vote for joe biden i will vote for him if it comes down between him and trump and and i do think that he does actually have i've i supported some of his ideas about certain things over the years and i've been like okay yeah cool me and joe align but I'm very concerned about his presidential candidacy in 2020. But on the big issues of our time, Biden has been on the side of corporations. He voted for the Iraq war, big oil money. If you wanted a perfect candidate to break up the Democratic Party coalition, like you got the anti-war people, they're going to stay home. You know, you've got I mean, you, you, the, 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 he was all for the, the, the tough Clinton, Bill Clinton criminal justice stuff. You want to get the Black Lives Matter people to stay home? Biden's your candidate. You want to get the 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 surging young women to stay home and and, and women generally? He's your candidate. I mean, it's like yeah. And let's talk a little bit about 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 Warren on that front. Which, by the way, Warren is from Oklahoma City. She's from okay. Oklahoma City, so it's uh, I guess it's, some people call it the Midwest, but it's a terrible name for it. It's really the the Mid South, but um. That she actually maybe maybe the antithesis of that maybe that she is appealing to a number of different groups that maybe could come together build a coalition and support her right and I more think, so even than than Bernie in some ways because of the wounds of uh, so you know, I, I do think I, I do think Elizabeth Warren would be a stronger candidate than Hillary Clinton and part of the reason is because I think she can. She can bring together a coalition. A lot of the polling is suggesting that millennial voters get it. They get the, 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 the depth of the problem that we're facing, particularly with the climate, but also capitalism. She speaks big Cor ideas. Corporate capitalism or 
<laughs> that makes it sound, you know, when you say, hey, I'm not a fan of corporate capitalism, then it's like a little bit more. Well, when I'm saying capitalism, I'm talking about the, the like capitalism on steroids consuming democracy that we currently live Oh, about. well, like what we're doing right now. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Giant piles of money in the hands of a very small number of corporations corrupting our politics. Yeah. Okay, yes. So, yeah. So, so with Elizabeth Warren, I think she can talk big ideas, talk Medicare for all, and the polls are showing that millennials dig that. Millennials get it. They get the magnitude of the problem. Those kind of big ideas appeal to them. And so I think she she could she could really get some of the millennial votes who are really concerned about climate, student debt, and, and the state of corporate capitalism. I think she could also really appeal to um like you know, overlapping group of of women and allies, women and their allies who want to see a female president, especially after the travesty that in the misogynist BS of, of Donald Trump. Now is really a, a ripe time for for a, a female president, and I know a lot of a lot of people in that camp who feel pretty strongly. I think she could she could also really get some you know old school progressives, you know the 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 the, the people that have been organizing on Medicare for all, the people that have been fighting against all these wars. I think the people that have been behind Bernie. I think she could get that wing. I think she could also appeal to. The the quote unquote and I you know I put them in quotes because swing voters only make up about five percent of the population. But some of these you know she used to be a Republican, you know, and and she's from Oklahoma City. I think she can she can reach some of those people. And I think of all the candidates, she could bring together the Democratic coalition best. I don't know that that necessarily makes her slam dunk against Trump in the way that you know some of Bernie's attributes do. But I do think she could beat Trump, and I think bringing together the coalitions of activists and young people and the fact that she hasn't declared war on the Democratic Party establishment, that is also part of a coalition. You know, yeah. I mean, I think that can actually help her electoral chances by not having – not being at a civil war or having it feel like a, feel like the Democratic Party has to declare war on her in the way that Bernie has been a little bit more – and I think in a good way, confrontational. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm glad for the confrontation. And the mainstream media doesn't hasn't blacked her out nearly to the same extent. And that I've, could be. I've an really asset noticed that. I've, in, I've that could be an asset in a general election too. So I think there's there's a fair argument that that Warren could be a, a really good candidate, and and she is somebody that her her life's work would suggest that she, if she, if she were elected, she would fight for the things she cares about. Is that she's, she claims to care about worse well, than these other candidates. I can't necessarily say that. And let's talk about what that means if it's manifested, right? So if you have a candidate who's a non-corporate candidate who in general can fall under the label of progressive politics, what does that mean, right? What, why is that different than having a Joe Biden or a Cory Booker um, or somebody who is in the pocket of large interests? Why, why does that matter? You know, obviously, let's hate. Let's Talk is cheap. Talk is cheap. So let's talk about uh, healthcare. You know, healthcare. Obviously, somebody who is taking money from from pharma, pharmaceutical companies mm -hmm. maybe uh, would not support a uh, Medicare for all. Maybe they would support a uh, a government. Well, maybe they option. would support Medicare for all in the election because that's where the Democratic Party's turning. That's that's where the Democratic Party is 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 moving. Um, but then once well, maybe once, but once they're elected. You yeah. know, since they got all that money, they can just say, oh, I just don't have the votes or they maybe they wouldn't expend the political capital to get it done because that's going to take a huge lift. We're going to need somebody that's going to fight for us. 
you know. So there's actually two, a couple of flaming hoops there, because there's one, even if they say they support it now, they might not support it in the general election because they're going to say it's too risky. Even if they support it in the general election, they may not support it once they get into office, and then they might not even fight for it, right? So they have to support it now, they got to support it later, and they got to fight for it once they're in. Right. So and I do see that with saying. Bernie. It's, it's, it's their, we got to look at their history. We have yeah. to look deeper. Yeah. And where they're getting their money from, and that's where we got to look. We can't, we can't base anything on what they say very little all we know if they don't support it now yeah then they're definitely not going to support it later yes and we can't do what we did with some other presidential candidates in the past and project onto them the uh, things that we think they would support because i think that's happened with democrats in the past obviously it's happened with republicans as well where you're like well they seem like a cool guy i like them it's a my kind of candidate i assume they will support and fight for what I want, what I want. And that's not always the case. So yeah, it's, but it's not just obviously Medicare. It is climate change as well, right? So it's a difference between somebody who would support maybe a carbon tax and somebody who would support a Green New Deal, right? Very different. And somebody who would fight to make sure a Green New Deal goes into place, right? That's, that, those are, just, those are worlds apart. So, so what do you say to, and this is a common thing that a corporate Democrat will say to try to cover their back is just say, oh, the Green New Deal, Medicare for all, those things will never happen. What do you say to, to that narrative? Oh, what do I say? Oh, well, hmm. well, I oscillate between, you know, you know, straight up just pessimism, nihilism and uh, and crazy optimism, you know, so uh, unrealistic optimism. Oh, well, what I say is uh, we have the money. We have the ability to do it, and the majority of Americans support it. Yeah, the majority of Americans support protecting the environment and limiting carbon emissions. The majority of Americans want people to get healthcare. The majority of Americans want these things. And why is it not happening? Corporate money, corporate money, and sellout politicians, right? And or the, bought and sold politicians. And, and the cost of not acting. Right? Sure, <laughs> of course. And that's and that's that's one of the things. The other argument is, well, we don't have the money. Right, we don't have right. the money to do it, but as Warren lays out, right. there is the money to do it. Right. It's out there. The and, money is out there, and and the climate isn't a swing voter, right? Like, if you take a middle ground with the climate, the science is what the science is. If we don't radically, like one eighty, change our fossil fuel consumption patterns, if we don't radically do this, it's game over. So it's like. Maybe it sounds smart or sounds prudent or uh, pragmatic to be like, oh, I'm going to do like I want to not set my aims high, but set it halfway to sound like you're trying to appeal to swing voters. The climate's not a swing voter. It's not going to listen. It's not going to care. We either do it big, we do it bold, or go home. It's not going to make a difference. And this is same with same with fighting fighting against poverty and inequality in this country, right? Same. Well, we're going to go halfway, right? We're gonna we're gonna make sure the corporations are happy, make sure that they can keep their tax cut that they just got, make sure that you know we still have a positive you know business environment for them, um, while we also attempt to to fight against you know half of Americans having no wealth zero wealth you know living paycheck to paycheck i want a candidate who's going to say no it's not a middle ground between those things we have to fight as hard as possible to make sure that americans have at least some dignity and some financial security and again there's only a few candidates out there who i think are even close to that so these these are real issues and compromise can be good in certain circumstances but compromising on like core beliefs 
that's a different thing. So, all right. So it sounds like we already have a couple of favorites here. We we also have a system that we've been developing to try to understand who's been. Do we want to talk about that at all? Is that something? Yeah. That, so so we're we don't building, have to go too in depth on it, but we're we're building a rubric and we're, we've started plugging in some of the candidates. We're still waiting on some data. We're waiting. One of the key factors is trust pulling. That hasn't come in yet, to my knowledge. I've been, I've been every few days. I've been going in trying to f- to find some trust polling. There's a wealth of it in in 2016, later in in the electoral season. So I think that's not going to come out for a while. But we're adjusting the numbers. We're 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 putting putting the candidates in there, and uh, we're going to have some math for you in, in a future episode. But we're just right now. We're looking at the fundamentals. We're looking at um, you know which candidates are, are are building coalitions. Who has the best coalition potential? And we're looking at um, the, the head-to-head matchup against Trump. We're looking at their fundraising. We're looking at their small donor numbers, and all these things are, are given a, a value in 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 our formula. And so we're going to be releasing that soon. And the reason that we're we're talking about this now um, and leading up to releasing kind of that that system is because we think that this is, to wrap it up, the tipping point, right? Mm -hmm. To get the right Democratic candidate to beat Trump and potentially to have a Democratic president, Senate, and House. And not just a Democratic president, but a a non-corporate, progressive, presidential candidate who wins with a Democratic Senate and a Democratic House who are willing to address health care, education, climate change, inequality, poverty, uh, the environment. That 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 would be a tipping point. That 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 could be transformative to the trajectory of America, uh, this country, uh, and the world. Right? I mean, it could be huge, and we have to hope. <laughs> oh, oh, don't get me started on hope. Okay, let's talk about hope. We have to try. How <laughs> about that? Try. No, that's the new slogan. It's not hope. Don't hope. It's try. just try. <laughs> yeah, because. What what more? I mean, what more meaningful work can we do than try to save? The, I mean, why are like our generation of all the the tens of thousands of generations that have gone in human history? Just so happens that we're the ones faced with this this twelve year window to really about shit. Oh God! Like why? Why is why 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 this generation? Why? why? Us? But but it's us, oh, and so so God. we're at a tipping point here. We're at a, a crossroads where we have to decide. Are we going to live our life in quasi denial, and like you know, live our lives from one distraction to the ne- to the next, or are we? Yes. Gonna, are we going to stop and say, no? I mean, I'm going to build my life around resisting this, and 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 even if the chances are slim, do everything I can because that's that's what's being that's what being real is about. That's what being compassionate is about. Or if you feel like you can't do everything that you can because you're kind of burned out. At least become informed about who's running and support a candidate who actually will support you, right? Because I I love the idea of, like, do everything you can, right? That's obviously – you you are a a professional activist Uh, of sorts. Privileged white guy. Yeah. And, um, you know, you're focusing on attempting to create change on a regular basis in politics. But there's a lot of people who feel like they can't. But with a tipping point such as this – it's a matter of being informed and potentially maybe making a few phone calls, knocking a few doors, but supporting the candidate who will support you and not falling for the the mirage of certain uh, stories or narratives or identities out there. Because this could be a fulcrum. This could be a tipping point. 
Matt, I think we said it. Yeah. Thanks, John House Wilson. Ah, thank you, Matthew Edge. Um, and hopefully a new episode will be out soon, although summer's coming, so it's going to be hot and sweaty and fun. Oh, wait, what? Do I want to say that? Hot and sweaty and fun? Is that, yeah. is that my branding for summer? Hot and sweaty. <laughs> that's good. No, I think that's, that's good. We should get some stickers. Um, all right. So thank you all for listening, and uh, we'll talk to you soon. Peace out.